The Cape Cod Climate Action Podcast Series will follow the work of the Cape Cod Commission and its community partners as we work together as one Cape to build resiliency in our region. The natural beauty, environmental resources, and historic character of Cape Cod have made the region a globally recognized destination. But what makes us unique also makes us vulnerable to the impacts of climate change. As an agency charged with protecting the unique values and quality of life on Cape Cod and balancing the quality of our shared environment and sustainable economic progress, the Cape Cod Commission recognizes the need to help build more resilient communities capable of withstanding the effects of climate change today and minimizing its impacts in the future. Aside from its natural beauty, Cape Cod's historic character is one of its most defining qualities. But many of our historic structures are vulnerable to the impacts of climate change. Learning how to balance preservation with protection is the topic of our discussion today as we hear about a new guide to historic structures and floodplain regulations in Massachusetts. I'm pleased to welcome Cape Cod Commission Historic Preservation Specialist Sarah Korjeff and Shannon Hulst with the Cape Cod Cooperative Extension and Woods Hole Sea Grant to the program. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So let's talk a, a little bit about our historic communities and the important character they provide to life on Cape Cod. Uh, Sarah, tell me a little bit about what you know. Well, the Cape's history is really told in its architecture. So our historic buildings are very important in that they're a window into understanding our past and how the Cape has grown over the many years. And when we think of historic structures, we think of more than just old buildings, but really buildings that represent something important in our history, either connection to an important event or important individuals, or perhaps important architectural or construction styles. And really, it's it's such a part of when you think about the way the Cape Cod looks. It's not just about the beaches. It's not just about our natural beauty. It is about those historic homes and uh, and, and places, and really where history of America, at least, began uh, here here on the Cape. That's right. We have a really rich and long history for America, and everything from the Cape's early agricultural beginnings, where we had smaller structures that were located generally well back from the coastline, to its maritime industrial successes, where clusters of, of development were uh, tightly around harbors, and and then continuing on to the more recent history of really the Cape becoming a tourist destination and the varied types of architecture that came along with that from elaborate Victorian homes to small roadside cottages for vacationers. So what defines a historic structure? Historic structures are are more than just old buildings. When we're looking to define them, we use the National Register of Historic Places guidelines. And there, There's very detailed criteria for evaluating the significance of a historic property, and it has to do with those three things that I mentioned early on, association with important events and development patterns, or association with individuals who played a role in sort of defining how a a community developed, or association with unique architectural styles or construction techniques that really varied from community to community and, and around the country. And so how many approximately historic structures do we have on the Cape? Well, we have a sense of how many we have because we have inventoried many of them, but we haven't inventoried all of our historic structures. So that's my caveat. But we have about 11,000 historic structures that are inventoried in the state's 
cultural resource database. And so I understand that nearly 2,000 of those are threatened by flooding and sea level rise. That's what we've identified based on the uh, detailed mapping that we've done. And of those 2,000 that are in floodplain or flood hazard areas, about 1,000 of them are National Register listed properties and others are historic structures with different designations. So I want to talk a little bit about the floodplain. Um, Shannon, bring you into the conversation. Um, can you define uh, what a floodplain is for our listeners? Sure. So the floodplain is defined by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, uh, and it's any flood zone on a FEMA flood map that starts with A or V. But specifically, it is defined by what is known as the 1% annual chance storm. It's colloquially known as the 100-year storm, um, but that is a misnomer because it actually has a 1% chance of occurring every given year. Every year, we can have multiple or, or in back-to-back years. So it's, it's that certain level storm. Um, and it's a good reminder that that's what our regulations are based on, but we can have bigger storms that go even beyond that floodplain. But that's what we use for our regulations. And so what makes regulations in the floodplain different? So the primary thing is that, you know, all of our building codes are designed to keep us safe and to keep us individually and as a community safe. So in a floodplain, they're looking at specifically how can we protect against flood risks. So it's mostly about elevation. It looks at the expected level of flooding, the expected height of flooding related to the first floor, the first usable floor of the structure, Um, you know, where the utilities are, where the living space is. Uh, anything that is used at all. Um, so it's it's about elevation and, and flood risk. And so to bring these two topics together, many of these historic structures lie within the boundaries of historic districts with have commissions that make decisions that one can and can't be built, rebuilt or modified. So how does this come into play with the floodplain regulations? So the, the, the big thing to know about floodplain regulations is anytime you improve a structure more than 50% of its market value, then you have to bring it up to code. So uh, if you have to elevate it, you'll have to actually lift it up maybe on pilings or insert flood vents into the foundation. There are lots of things that you have to do if you hit that 50% threshold. This issue was brought to my and Sarah's attention by a local real estate agent who noticed that historic structures were being torn down because people hit that 50% threshold and then they thought that they had to tear down the structure and just start over from scratch to meet that, that rule. And the reality is that for certain historic structures, there is an exception to that rule. And so that's what Sarah and I have been working on for a few years at this point, trying to get that word out to the real estate community, to historic district commissions, and to building officials to help them understand the details of that exception to the rule. And I think really, when you think about historic preservation and really wanting to preserve the character of the Cape, you'd like to keep people from tearing a, a historic structure down completely. I mean, certainly not keeping them from modifying it to protect it um, from storm damage, but certainly retaining that historic character, I'm sure is important. Absolutely. And we recognize over time, many of our historic buildings have evolved and changed a little bit. And some have even had to move back from the coastline or alter them, or be altered in order to protect them from rising sea levels. But The important thing, as you said, is that balance because it's really possible to preserve our historic properties and better protect the public from flood hazards at the same time. But sometimes we need to inform people about the rules that are out there and the flexibility that's that's out there. Perhaps the most important thing, I think, is that the Massachusetts Building Code actually acknowledges that certain historic structures are significant enough that they should be given greater flexibility in meeting these regulations. 
What we're really trying to do is draw attention to these areas so that communities can start planning for the future, start understanding perhaps how much time they have, how much change they may need to make or accommodate, and figure out what the, the, what the best solution is for that particular community. We have some properties that are in the flood, in flood hazard areas that are well back from the coastline, and they probably have multiple ways that they could address their flood risk. We have other properties that are really in much more severely impacted areas where the number of opportunities may be a lot smaller, but it's always going to be easier to figure out how to deal with those things if we start thinking about it early. And this is, this is a little bit of a, a tricky situation because the exemption to the building code that Sarah and I have been working with, you know, is an exemption from bringing the structure up to a, a more safer standard. So we've been trying to balance that, um, working with the building departments and the historic district commissions, and, and as Sarah said, trying to find more ways that we can make these structures as safe as possible and maintain their historic character. And that's something that um, you know, that's an ongoing thing. It's not just Cape Cod that's looking at this. Um, there are a lot of historic areas throughout the country. So we're, we're kind of keeping an eye on those areas and looking at what they can do. And we're trying to think more outside of the box because there are some, some of the traditional flood protection measures are not appropriate for these historic structures. So it's, it's a little bit of a puzzle trying to balance all of these factors. So to that end, a guide to floodplain regulations and historic structures uh, here in Massachusetts is now available, compiled by the Cape Cod Commission, uh, the Cooperative Extension, and the Woods Hole Sea Grant. Talk to me a little bit about this guide and um, how it's intended to help people navigate uh, the trickiness of these regulations. So Sarah and I, uh, again, we mentioned that we've been working on this uh, for a few years now. Um, Sarah as the historic preservation specialist and me as the floodplain specialist. And there are certain questions that Sarah can answer and certain questions that I can answer. And we get these same questions a lot. So the primary purpose for putting this together was to help people understand how a, a historic structure meets this exemption, what the definition is in order to meet this exemption. And it's it's tricky. The rules are taken from the National Flood Insurance Program. They apply nationally. So we've brought them down to the state level to try to figure out and help people understand how they really apply here in Massachusetts. And then we've also gotten a few frequently asked questions that are not necessarily related to the definitions. So we've addressed that as well. And we, we ran this by the Department of Conservation and Recreation, who's responsible for National Flood Insurance Program compliance. They help the towns with that compliance. And they've, they've looked this over as well. And, and they're all excited about um, sharing this throughout the state because this is an issue statewide and, and the Cape just happens to be lucky that the, the commission and, and the extension have floodplain and historic specialists to be able to work on this. Yeah, and I think it's interesting the number of questions that we get from the communities on the Cape. It's, it's not just one group of individuals asking questions. It's, as Shannon mentioned, it's real estate agents, it's the historical commission members, it's the historic district committee members, and it's the building department staff, because these are things that are, you know, not coming up every day, but and these are people who aren't necessarily dealing with historic designations every day. And, and so that's why being able to turn to us and alert us to the fact that this was a big issue. And we really benefit from seeing this dealt with the same way across our entire region. We want to see consistency. And so we're hoping that this will help lead to that. 
And really, when we talk about climate change, when we talk about uh, resiliency, this is a proactive measure, uh, right, to be able to make sure that we are protected and preserved. Um, and I think, you know, not just thinking about coastal erosion, but really protecting the infrastructure that's here and protecting the character uh, of the Cape. Have you seen, I mean, clearly this guide is, is very new, um, but have you seen uh, folks be successful in um, making some resilient measures to their historic structures here on the Cape that may be in the floodplain or, um, you know, close to erosion areas? Yeah, we've definitely seen successful cases. And there are a number of towns I can uh, point to examples that where we've gone into individual towns and met with building departments and help them evaluate what's being proposed on historic property and figure out, well, which part of this structure is historic and has some flexibility in how it meets the regulations versus which part is not historic and can be altered and, and brought fully up to code. And and I think it's working with the individual communities that way that really uh, results in, in the best outcome possible. And so we've got, we've seen some positive cases in Sandwich and in Provincetown, certainly. We've also seen just some very challenging cases. So so really we're, we're also looking forward to the next step which is to develop some design guidance for the towns to use. Now that they know which buildings have this flexibility, what are some great examples of how they could move forward with actually making alterations? That's part of really the suite of hazard mitigation programs that we're working on right now. Um, and it's in the early stages, but that doesn't mean that people have to wait to ask us questions about it because we're always available to give advice on that. Another another piece of the success of this that I want to bring up is kind of a flip side that I've learned recently that we have the biggest historic district in the country uh, with the Old Kings Highway Historic District. And the historic district commissions do have the ability to regulate uh, the aesthetics of what what happens in these areas. Um, And another issue that's come up for us is people who don't necessarily have a historic structure, but they're located in that historic district commission, and they want to improve the flood safety of their home. So that's, that's kind of another flip side that the historic district commission does have the ability to regulate what it looks like, but they need to encourage having folks improve the flood safety of their home. And so it's another way of this looking forward kind of idea of what do we want our communities to look like in the future? I know a lot of people don't like seeing houses be elevated. They say it looks like North Carolina or the Outer Banks. The reality is that is the direction that, that we're headed with sea level rise. Um, and the sooner we, we embrace a new a new look and a new community character, the better off we'll be. So we have an opportunity now to start looking at that new community character, not only with these historic structures that actually meet the definition of a historic structure, but also with the structures that are within these historic district commissions and really help make up the look of of our community overall. I think really the biggest issue, the most difficult issue for, for the boards to deal with is this idea of elevation. And elevating a building a few feet into the air is really not typically expected to make a big change in the aesthetics of the area. But once we're talking about elevating buildings a full floor height or six feet or more, then it really can have a significant impact. And and that's where the real challenges begin. And I will say that we're not the only group, certainly, that's trying to figure out the best way to deal with these issues. And even the National Park Service back in November of 2019, so not that long ago, 
issued a significantly detailed document about historic properties and floodplains and how to evaluate changes to them and whether or not they would still be eligible for the National Register of Historic Places with these changes mm. being made. So, so there is some federal guidance that we can rely on and sort of work from there. So where can people find uh, this guide? And really, who is it intended for? Uh, who, who's going to use this guide the most? So uh, for the intended audience, um, building commissioners and building building departments are really the primary intended audience. But uh, real estate folks that, that work in the historic world will also benefit from looking at it. Again, um, that's the group that brought it to our attention in the first place. So uh, if they're looking at selling a property, they have a better understanding of what can be done with it. Um, and it can be found on, on both the Cape Cod Commission, Cape Cod Cooperative Extension and Woods Hole Sea Grant websites. For the Cape Cod Cooperative Extension under the Coastal Processes page, Woods Hole Sea Grant, Storms, Flooding, and Coastal Erosion, and the Cape Cod Commission webpage. It's under the Historic Preservation heading right now, but I think it'll also migrate to a few other locations too. Well, Shannon and Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure to talk with you both. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having us. Sarah Korjev is the Historic Preservation Specialist with the Cape Cod Commission. Shannon Hulst is with the Woods Hole Sea Grant. She's also the Floodplain Specialist and Deputy Director of the Cape Cod Cooperative Extension. We've been talking about the new guide to floodplain regulations and historic structure in Massachusetts. You can find it online at the Cape Cod Commission's website, capecodcommission.org. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cape Cod Climate Action Podcast Series.